Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I don't know about you folks, but I, I just, I, I feel a tremendous amount of liberty. And I'm not going to preach about liberty today, but I just feel impressed to talk a little bit about liberty at the moment. You know, I have a mortgage. I've got medical bills. I've got a car payment. Got challenges, got problems, little aches and pains here and there. But I feel absolutely in total and utter liberty. You feel the, in the presence of God, in the presence of God, we're at liberty. You know, you could stand up right now and shout out the name of Jesus as long as you wanted to. And that's okay. And you know what? He's going to be standing right next to you. Why don't we stand this morning? You want to know why I jumped up and why I was so excited about that testimony? Because that's the stuff that God's promising you that's going to happen. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. When the Spirit of God begins to move. And listen, I don't care if it's at camp and another preacher, another church, midwinter youth. I don't care where it is, North American Youth Congress, a a sectional prayer meeting. I don't care where it is, but God's going to continue to move. And if that Spirit moves across this place, and He's going to start calling young people, He's going to start calling you, He's going to start putting on your heart. If you open up to Him, if you feel at liberty, if you liberate yourself... If you let yourself go in God and you say, God, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'm here to do it. I'm here to be whatever you want me to be. I'm telling you, you're going to start to feel liberty like you never felt before. You're going to see the shackles of this world fall off. All those worries and issues. I don't care if I have a mortgage. I don't care if I got medical bills. I don't care about anything. But if I can stand in this altar and I can feel the spirit of God move back and forth across this place. And then I hear a young lady step up and say, God just called me to be a minister to the young people. You hear what I said? She said God called her to be a minister to young people. A young person in our midst was called to be a minister. Yes. Hallelujah. Woo. Boy, we're going to get a hold of this thing one of these days. We're going to stop sleeping and we're going to realize God's doing some awesome stuff. And he's going to keep on doing some awesome things. But you got to be a part of it. You got to be the revival that you want to see you got to be the church that you want to see. You have to be that. It's not up to Brother Cordell just to do it all the time, right? you got to be that revival. We talk about that all the time. This is not my message at all, by the way. It's not even close. We talk about that all the time. We want revival. We want revival. Everybody in here want revival? Why? It's exciting. Sure. Because Jesus is coming. I think Sister Dresser got close enough to it that I'll just go ahead and finish. We want revival because we need to continue to recharge the batteries. It's like, taking, it's like taking your power pack and plugging it into the wall and getting it charged back up again. Why do we need revival? Because we continue to need to revive this spirit and this attitude and this liberty in our lives so that we, God can get a hold of us and say, okay, now you're ready. Now I'm going to put you into youth ministry. Now I'm going to get you involved in this. Now I'm going to make you a soul winner. You know why you should go to the Bible study on Wednesday night? To learn how to be a Bible study teacher. How about that? Yes. You know why you should go to Brother Barningham's Foundations class on Wednesday night? Because you should get the deep parts. Watch out, I'm falling. You should get the deep parts of God down inside your heart, the deep parts of doctrine. That's what they're doing in there. See, they're getting a hold of the deeper things of God and getting you deeper in beyond where even a Bible study can go. Why do you want that? Because I'll tell you what, when it starts getting rough out there, when the world starts really challenging you and things start getting really crazy, God's going to start calling the people who are awake and ready and saying, okay, I'm ready to put you here. I'm ready to use you here. And the ones that are still sleeping, well, you're going to stay asleep. 
That's why you should be involved in those things. All right, I'm going to preach a little more. Keep you standing just a little bit longer. If you can turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. By the way, the reports of my early demise are greatly exaggerated, as uh, Brother Mark Twain once said. I was on vacation for about a week with my family uh, down in Florida, so it's good to be back and uh, be back in the house of God and be with my family. I know nobody missed me because I didn't get any phone calls or text messages or emails, so that's good. <laughs> All right, 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 10. Hang in there with me. What if I let you sit about halfway through? How's that? Okay. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 10, says this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, all of this world is gone, all this stuff is going to be wiped clean like stubble. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? You can be seated. Verse 13 goes on to say this, nevertheless, we, that's us, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing, ye, seeing that ye look for such things, now listen, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You hear what's being said in there? we got to be found at peace. That liberty that I was talking about just a minute ago. There is no greater peace than to be in the presence of God, feeling completely free, liberated, feeling the joy in your heart that God provides, working with one another, interacting, being part of those ministries that we talked about, showing up for picnic and pulls and ministry. That's going to be a ministry thing. We're going to broadcast that thing across this whole community. Yeah, it's a fundraiser for the church. You want to know what we're going to target? We have a goal. We want to take this whole wall. We want to get rid of that screen. We want to take this whole wall right here and make it a giant video wall. You know why we want to do that? Because we want to immerse our guests and our visitors into what's happening in the ministry of God. You know why people have 70-inch screen TVs in their family rooms? It's not because they're blind and they can't see. It's because they want to be immersed in their entertainment now. We're competing with that. We're competing with that type of thing. Not to mention, it kind of cranes your neck to have to stare way up like that. And, and, and we want it to be big and to be bold and, and to immerse people in the, in the message that we're doing. I'm not out to entertain. I'm out to get people immersed in the word of God. And I'm competing with that every day because every year they seem to come out with a bigger and bigger size TV. Thinner, lighter, easier, cheaper. You know what the cheapest commodity in the world right now is a television. But we want to be awake and we want to target those funds. But more so, we want to bring people onto this property so that we can engage them, so they can see God through you. They can see something different than they're seeing in their normal lives. See, we want to be a part of that. So we want to be diligent, as it says in verse 14, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Of course, that means we're not running around being sinful. And verse 15 says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, hanging in there. 
is salvation. Stick in the game. Stay with us. Be connected. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Verse 16. As also in all his epistles speaking to them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. It means they wrestle. So it says there's some things that are hard to understand about God. There's things that we're challenged with. I know there are things that we preach sometimes or that you read in the word on your own that you struggle with. But those that are unlearned and unstable, they wrestle with those things. Well, I don't understand. Well, how come the Bible says Father, but then it says Son, but you're telling me there's one God? And how come baptism says this, but it says that this, you know, and, and all of this stuff, people struggle and they wrestle with it. Well, how do you get better at that? How do you get solid at that? By attending a Bible study class your, teaches, your, your church is giving you so that you can get more solid in the Word. By getting into a foundations program and saying, I want to get this thing deep down in my heart. I don't want to wrestle with the Word of God anymore. And it goes on to say, unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Okay? So in other words, they're talking about people that struggle with the word, and so because they, they make issue out of it, and they fuss with it, and they wrestle with it, the word rest, W-R-E-S-T means to wrestle, they fuss. They fuss with all the other scriptures too, and they do so to their own destruction. We can't do that. Okay? Remember, this scripture started out, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And I'll get back to that. Verse 17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You gotta be careful, folks. You start listening to some of this stuff and you're not getting rock solid in the word of God. You're not getting it down deep. You're not getting a hold of every word and researching and studying. You can be led away with this error. Whether you realize it or not, it can look perfectly innocent. And I have to say, and I'm so desperately sorry to know that there's people that I know that I grew up with in the church that have had this happen to them. There are pastors and ministers that have gotten a hold of doctrines. I talked to you last time when I was here and I preached last time, I talked about these movements that are happening right in apostolic faith right now. The apostolic reformation movement and the other things that I mentioned. But they've been drawn away into false doctrines. Good, solid people. But you gotta be steadfast. Verse 18, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about that day, the day. You know, that day in the Bible is a very significant and powerful uh, aspect to it, if you want to say it that way. That day, when God talks about that day, it's the day. The day that we're going to meet him, when all of this stuff, everything that we're doing, every little bit of book sales and picnics and preaching and singing and all this stuff, it all culminates into this one day. Now, the Bible says it in many different ways. As a matter of fact, it's referenced in Scripture in different ways over 300 times that day. Let me give you some examples of how it's referenced in the word. The day, that day, day of the Lord, day of reckoning, day of wrath, or day of the Lord's wrath. Great day or great day of the Lord, day of trouble and distress, day of destruction and desolation, day of darkness and gloom, day of clouds and thick darkness, day of trumpet and battle cry, day of vengeance, and of course, the great and glorious day of the Lord. This is not a good day 
for most people, that day is going to be a really, really, really nasty day. When it talked about in the scripture I just read in, in Peter, the Lord coming as a thief in the night, and it says that the elements will melt in fervent heat, the earth also shall that, and their ends shall be burned up. This isn't the God that the, that the world and culture is preaching out there. And he loves everybody. God is love. Love is universal. God's just love. He loves everybody. Everything's good. No matter what I believe or how I get there, he's going to love me. That's not what I'm hearing and what I'm reflecting in that day. And the reason I want to talk to you about it and the reason I think it's important and God impressed on me to preach this message is because I think it's important in that steadfastness that Peter talked about. Always being steadfast. You know what steadfast means? It means just constantly on guard, constantly ready, constantly at the ready. We cannot sleep anymore. Hey, come on, folks. How many of us are guilty of taking a few naps during the course of our walk? Right? I'm raising my hand, too. I've taken a few naps over the course of time. I've been in church for almost 38 years. But what I'm saying is that now, that day, I believe, is closer upon us than ever before, and I keep getting impressed upon and impressed upon from God that we've got to start talking about readiness and steadfastness and being ready for that day, because you just heard all of those words. That day is doom and dark and destruction and burning and fervent heat. I'm not trying to give you hellfire and brimstone here. I'm not, this isn't Billy Sunday, and I'm not, I'm just trying to, it's the word of God. And over 300 times, it's referenced in the word of God to beware of that day. Because the majority of all of creation is going to suffer on that day. And so we need to be aware of that. And as you read through scripture and you cross over and you stumble across a the day or the great and glorious day or that day, it's talking about the day when we're going to meet him, when all of this comes together. And I'm going to explain a couple of things here in just a moment as we get a little bit deeper in. But let me share some warnings with you and what the scripture goes on to say about that. In Isaiah chapter 2, and I'm just going to give you the, the chat because I have quite a few references here. I'm just going to give you the chapter reference, okay? So if you're, you're taking notes, you can pick up the podcast later. By the way, did you guys all know that we podcast all of our services? Okay. If you don't, if you don't know that and you're on, a, you're on the right phone system, Google, I mean Galaxy, <laughs> that, that was for my daughter. Um, Google Play Music is the app that you can download, and you can do a search for Abundant Life Church, and you'll see our logo, and all of the podcasts are there. And Brother Courtney has them up there generally the same day or pretty close. So I know some of you have been fussing a little bit with the, the website, which, by the way, Brother Courtney is also in, in under construction, and we're going to be revamping that entire thing. And uh, it's a little bit more of some of the things that are happening right now that you guys aren't hearing about. But... So anyway, um, I think Apple has a version. It's, I think it's iTunes. Is it I, Brother Courtney, is it on iTunes? Yes. iTunes. So if you guys suffer through that process, you can find it on iTunes too. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give you the chapter and, and uh, uh, the re- chapter reference, and then I'm going to fly. Okay, Isaiah chapter 2 says this, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, that he, they, that he may be abased. And so we have to understand that 
we know that God hates a proud spirit. Word says that. Anything to do with pride and arrogance right now. This world and this culture that we, uh, that we live in, that we're surrounded, just reeks. It just reeks of pride and arrogance. And, and, and I'm not going to say anything about any particular parade or anything like that, but it's just interesting to me that pride happens to be just, it's promoted and it's, it's put out there. And, and, and the boldness at which some people mock God and they, 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 they t- they're talking about Christians and this Buddha guy guy, whatever his name is, he's a candidate for the presidency, just went off on, on Christian conservatives the other day. And I'm not being political, I'm just talking about the proud, the pride, that's, it's just so nasty out there. There's no humility with, with, with any of this culture that's out there. It's bold and brash. And so one of the first things he starts talking to in, in the prophets, especially Isaiah, you can find it multiple times, is that he's gonna take care of the proud. So what's that message to us? Get a hold of humility. Learn what it is. If you think you're humble, you're not. See what I mean? <laughs> you ever hear that old joke? I got, a, I got a prize one time. They gave me a prize for humility. It was a ribbon. It was really pretty, and it had a long streamer on it, and it said, you know, humble guy. And so I wore it, and they took it away. <laughs> All right. Isaiah chapter 13 says this. It says, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Now, if you, re- if you talked about this type of stuff to people in the cultural Christian world right now or, or the non-Christian world, it would just blow them away because everything that's being pumped out there is God is love and everything's love and everyone's going to be saved and nobody's going to hell, it doesn't exist, etc. But some people are going to get destroyed. Isaiah 13, and, uh, again, a little bit later down in the, in the chapter, says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Listen to this now. Cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Now, I'm using uh, the SV version of, of Scripture, so uh, um, it's, it's a little bit easier to understand. But in that particular translation, it said exterminate its sinners from it. Zephaniah chapter 1 says that neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on that day of the Lord's wrath, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. See, all these rich cats, all this people about money and the way this society just focuses around style and money and cars and prestige and power and all that stuff, they're not going to be able to buy their way out of this deal. You can't come in here and drop enough money on this altar and, and maintain the same attitude and that worldly cultural attitude and say, okay, God, now I've given all this money. And by the way, if you want to do that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to receive it. You know, God blesses us through the heathens too. I'm just kidding. But, but no, really, I'll take it. Um, but the point is, is that they're not even going to be able to buy their way through it. Their pride and their arrogance and their money is not going to save them. And you notice that it says of all the inhabitants of the earth. That's everything, everybody, every living creature, every animal, every insect, every bird, every person, gone. Because he's going to be done. This time there's no flood. This time it's destruction by fire. 
Jeremiah chapter 46 says this. It says, for that day belongs to the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, so as to avenge himself on his foes. So when this happens, it's an act of vengeance on God. Because in love and in passion, and he sacrificed himself, and he's given this, this huge time, this, this enormous dispensation of grace, where he died on the cross, suffered, tortured, spilled his blood, so that we could have this great liberty. I still feel it. I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost right now. Maybe, I, I don't know if, I'm, if you're feeling it or not. But he gave this to us as a gift. And so... He freely gives it, willfully gave his life, sacrificed himself, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so at some point, however, his attitude's going to change a little bit. And it literally says, this destruction, this wiping away of this world is going to be an act of vengeance. He's going to seek vengeance on his foes, and they're going to be destroyed. Now, I know this is heavy stuff, folks. This isn't exciting rah-rah stuff. Happy summer. Yay, July tomorrow. But I have a point. Malachi chapter 4 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze. This is, this is again and again and again throughout the Old Testament and through, through the prophets of the Old Testament. He's speaking. But look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, as it said in 2 Peter, will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Now why does he say like a thief in the night? What's going on at night when the thieves come? People are sleeping. They're just thinking peace and safety, everything's all good, and I can live my life the way I want to, and I can define this walk with God the way I want to, or I can defy God openly and say, I, you know, I can do it the way I want to. No matter what my sin is, God loves it, he appreciates it. Everything out there is, is, is good as evil, and evil is good right now. You see it all the time, right? We're surrounded by it. And, and so he, t- he uses this terminology. Peter says it in, in his verse. Uh, um, Paul says it to the Thessalon- Thessalonians in, in chapter 2 Thessalonians there, he says, the thief in the night, again, they use that. Jesus used that reference, thief in the night, because he understands, he knows that people are going to be asleep. But you have to understand, that can not just mean people out in the world, not Christians, not serving, it can mean us too. And so the thief, the thief comes late, deep into the night, when everyone's sleeping, and slips into the house and steals and destroys. And so he's continuously warning this, you're not, there's not going to be an announcement. There isn't going to be a, a special time. We know that the word says that no man knows the day or the hour. Well, why is that? Because he wants us to always be ready. That steadfastness that Peter talked about, right? If he announced the day of the hour, we knew that on January 26, 2094, um, God's coming back. Well, woohoo! I can party down until January 25th, 2094, <laughs> Right? And then, you know, maybe sometime in the evening there on the 25th, I'm going to suddenly get real Christian and kind of get all saved up. And Well, God, you know, I, I really love you. I'm, I'm sorry. You see what I'm saying? So he's purposely coming as a thief in the night because he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be that bride that's prepared all the time. The point is, is we can't be the house that's sleeping. There's no more time for naps. 
There's no more time for, for no one at the watch. So here's the direction that God gives us. I'm going to give you some, some, some thoughts throughout Scripture, some ideas on, on what the expectations are for us in these last days. And I'm going to have you turn to Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 34. Luke 21 and 34. Luke 21 and 34 starts out like this. It says, but take heed. Okay, when it says take heed, it's a, it's a serious deal. It's saying, you need to listen to this. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Now I want to say this. Carousing, if you look into the meaning of the word carousing, it essentially means kind of just running through life, seeking, just seeking your own joy, fulfilling the flesh, just hanging out. It's associated with the drunkenness. Now, the drunkenness here does not necessarily mean just drinking alcohol and being drunk or being high or being on drugs or things like that. The drunkenness here can also reference being drunk on life, being, being overindulged. So you're just entertainment person. You're a party guy. You're just all about the entertainment, all about just having fun. You're drunk on just, just constantly fulfilling the flesh. Okay, so don't be confused that this is all just talking about drinking alcohol because it's not. So what I'm saying is that you and I can be susceptible to this. We can start to get, you know, hey, the Brewers are winning. Let's go to 55 games this year. And, and yeah, the Bucks, you know, did this. And, and, and I got all these thing, other things to do. And I bought a new whatever. And I'm sailing on this and that or whatever the case is. We can get drunk on these possessions and these, and these distractions and this entertainment and this fun. And it happens all the time. I see it c- continuously. I see people who have taken church And instead of having it be at the center of their lives, the hub from which they travel out and do their work is they put it out on the the perimeter of life. And the center of their life becomes their work or their fun or their joy or their their hobby or their entertainment or whatever it is. Their 70-inch plasma screen TV and their whatever. You see what I'm saying? Entertainment. In this world today, right now, In 2019, there are more methods of entertainment available than have ever been available in the history of mankind worldwide combined forever. What I mean is is you can get every particular type of entertainment and all the new ones that have been created since technology has come around. Right now, today, you can walk out of here and be entertained thousands of different ways. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, if you would rule the world, amuse them. That's what the enemy's doing right now. So that drunkenness is warning us. It's talking about being drunk or being distracted and indulged in full. What happens when you get drunk, when you get full of stuff and you get overindulged and, and you, you, you get fat and you, you get distracted? Exactly. You get lazy and you get tired and you get weighed down. Okay? The more entertainment, the more fuss, and the more joy, and the more this, and the more that that we're doing, we're chasing, and we're running, and we're chasing after that now. Well, what happens is it becomes fleeting. It becomes, well, it was really fun for a little while, but now I'm kind of down again. So you know what? I need another brewer game. I, right, short-lived. I need another something. I need, I need another juice. I need another fun thing. I need another event, another trip, another vacation, another movie, or whatever the case is. You see what I'm saying? 
So it feeds into itself and we become distracted with the concept of chasing after that joy. And that's what I was saying today here. When I got up, I just felt so impressed to say, I feel such liberty, such power, such strength. I love this feeling. I am absolutely 100% in love with the move of the Spirit of God, just standing up here worshiping. And it doesn't go away. It's not fleeting. You can find it anywhere. I've found it in my car driving to work, listening to worship music. I found it in my home in my own personal prayer time. I can have it any time I want. But that's what we should be focused on being drunk on. You see what I'm saying? These words are very meaningful. These scriptures are very, very meaningful in every aspect. Let's move on before I get too far out. And it says, For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, now I want to explain something. A snare is something that happens, it's a gotcha. If you've ever seen an animal get caught in a snare, you don't see it coming. You don't know what's there. Snares are usually hidden under the leaves or whatever. If you've ever done any trapping or anything like that or you've seen this in a movie or a show, it's a quick thing. You get caught up in it. First, all of a sudden, you know your leg is stuck in the snare and you're stuck. You're caught. And it's saying these things are going to snare people. It'll come as a snare on all those who are on the face of the earth. Everybody is going to be susceptible to this. But it says to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I want to explain something. We're all going to stand before Jesus. You understand that, right? The Bible says that we're going to account for every word, every idle word that's coming out of our mouth. The actions that we've taken, the opportunities that we've had to be ministered by him when he's called you to do something, that's going to come to mind. But I want you to understand that grace, grace provides you this. See, we're going to have the opportunity to stand before Jesus. Or we're going to have the opportunity to bow before him. Because Philippians says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if the Lord of your life up until the point you meet him was sports or fun or drinking or, or whatever the situation is, that Lord is going to change that day. The problem is, is if you didn't have a relationship with him, as it says in Matthew chapter 7 and 22, he's going to say, depart, you're out. Oh, I'd rather be standing before him and willfully kneeling and start out kneeling and pleading with him. So to stand before Jesus is going to be a wonderful thing for those of us that know him and have a relationship with him. See, a lot of people believe, and, and it, sometimes it gets a little skewed, but those of us filled with the Holy Ghost, living a holy life, doing our best to stay spotless and blameless, as the scripture said, when the rapture happens and we're transformed, you know that we bypass the white throne judgment? We bypass it. The Bible says that we're going to be standing there in white robes and holding palms, praising and worshiping the king. We're going to be with him at the throne. It's those that don't know him that have to be judged. See, because our names are already written in the book of life. Amen. So the word says that he's going to judge out of the books Right? And we know that the books that he's going to judge out of are the 66 books of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and then the other book, which is the book of life, and your name needs to be written in it. And I'm telling you, folks, till my dying breath, I'm going to continue 
to preach and teach the salvation message exactly as the word of God has given it. You must repent. You must repent wholly of the life that you lived prior to coming to the introduction of you and God. You must repent of that. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That is scripture again and again and again and again. And you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with evidence in speaking other tongues. And I'm going to continue to preach it and continue to preach it and continue to preach it until my dying breath because that's what this is all about. That's how our name gets written in the book of life and that's how we get to stand before him and willfully kneel. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now this is going to be a long section of scripture, so hang in there with me. It starts at verse 16. But I have some points to make and I want to share this with you. Verse 16 says this. It says, this is the covenant that I make with them. Okay, he's talking about his followers, us. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So he's already making a promise. This is a covenant that he makes with us. You know God's covenants are unbreakable. He never breaks a covenant, what he establishes. It's a promise to you that he's going to put his laws into your heart and and write them in your minds. Well, how does he do that? By you studying and knowing the word of God. He promises that you study and you learn and you reach out and say, yes, Brother Joel Meyer, can you, can you teach me more about the word of God? Can I sit in your Bible study and learn? I want to really understand this full message. And as you say that and you make that commitment, he's writing it in your heart and in your mind. You know why that's powerful, why that's important? Because it's going to be your defense. It's going to be your strength. It's going to be the thing that you draw from when you're trying to stay steadfast and stay in this life. You see, far too many times... I've watched as good people, I said it a little bit earlier, good people who love God come into the church, but over time it gets harder and harder. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why do we continue to do this? I don't see anything changing. It even says in scripture that people will scoff and say, oh, you've been talking about the coming of the Lord since the beginning of time, since our fathers were asleep, right? It's hard, isn't it? But the reason I titled this message That Day and I wanted to give you that understanding of what that day is is because I want to bring to remembrance that there is a purpose for this. There is a reason that we have to stay steadfast, that we got to get those words written in our mind and our heart because we're going to be challenged. We're going to be pulled. I've watched it happen, breaking my heart, bringing me to tears, watching good people just say, I'm too tired. I can't do it anymore. I don't believe it's happening. I, don't, I just don't see it. I think God cares about me. I, I, this care is too, much, too important to me. And they just drift out. I've seen it too often. And I don't want to see it to you. I don't want to see it happen to my family or your family. I want you to understand that you've got to get this thing deep down in your heart. And you have to determine right now, I'm not going anywhere. This is where I belong. In God's presence is where I belong. No more fooling around. No more worrying about the entertainment of this world. Amen. No more worrying about the drunkenness of all the fun and all the other distractions and the things that we go after. You understand? It's it's important for me as a pastor coming up to express to you as my family and my brothers and sisters the warnings that God is giving us in this regard. Verse 18 says this, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
Now let me stop right there. What this is basically saying is, is we're not cutting animals anymore for this thing. We, Jesus came for this purpose, okay? Now hang in there with me because it, it gets to the point. But what it's saying is that there's no more re- remission of sin through the sacrifice of animals because Jesus came and did it for us. There's no more offering for sin is what it's saying. We're not bringing, we're not bringing animals to the tabernacle and say, here's your offering, please give, take away my sin. That's, the offering is not taking away the sin. That's why the other scripture said their money's not gonna be able to buy them out of destruction. See, the, the sin remission comes from Jesus alone now. That's why we have to stay so close to that. That's why baptism is so incredibly important. You know, the world and Christianity all over the place is telling people it's not necessary. It's just an action. It's just something you can do if you want to, if you feel compelled. It's a way to get into the club. That's so wrong. And the enemy is running rampant with it in our world. Verse 20 says, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. See, there's no more, there's no more animal sacrifices we get to enter into the Holy of Holies. So that veil, you remember where that veil reference comes from, right? The old tabernacle? The, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was hidden back in a little tent called the Holy of Holies, and there was a huge veil in front of it. And that veil literally represented the flesh of Christ. That's why when he, when he died on the cross, the veil, it says, was rent in two. That thing was thick. It was like this thick. It was just a massive curtain, 60 feet tall, all the way down to the ground. And when Jesus died on the cross, whew, The thing split apart. Well, that was basically God saying, you get to go into the Holy of Holies now. You get to praise and worship. You understand? That's why, and I know it's not for everybody, but I I love the folks who are willing to step out of their seat and say, you know what? I want to get in the Holy of Holies. I want to get in the worship service and I want to stand here. This is the Holy of Holies. The presence of God is here. I walk back and forth in prayer time. I just love, and you'll see me do it and it's just because I so appreciate and love the Spirit of God. I feel like the Spirit of God is more powerful right here than it is anywhere else in the building. That's just me personally. That's not scripture. But what I'm saying is, is we get that privilege. We have that right to stand in the Holy of Holies. No more one priest or one guy through Jesus' flesh I can personally feel that's why I said when I started I feel that liberty I feel that joy that presence it's just awesome I got problems I've got issues I've got challenges I deal with the same stuff you guys do but what I'm saying is I can come to church I can come here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a prayer service on Monday or a prayer service on Friday evening or whatever event is happening and I have the privilege and the honor and the right and the liberty to step into the Holy of Holies. My God, why wouldn't we want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to be here? That's the joy that he brought. That's what he brought in his sacrifice. Verse 21 says, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. There it is again. That baptism command. It's all spelled out for us. And this is what we need to communicate. When it says, let us draw near with a true heart, what do you think it's saying draw near to? Draw near to what? His presence. Where God is. Absolutely. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. 
Now, to profess your faith means to talk about it. It means to be about it. It means you are your faith. It's your identity. And folks, if I can give you this little tip, just a little thought, I I have to impress this upon you. You want to hang in there. You want to be successful. You want to be able to walk into the church and immediately experience the presence of God and feel at liberty and faith. you got to profess your faith. I'm not saying go out on street corners and hold up signs and wear a sandwich board and do scriptures and put a microphone on the top of your car. I'm saying just talk it. Be your faith. Every chance you have the opportunity, somebody asks you a question about a problem, somebody comes to you for something, say, you know what, I'm a person of faith. I really, I'm a faithful person. I love God. Let me share something in my personal experience and share your testimony. Profess your faith. We got to start talking about it. I said earlier, if you want to be the revival, if you want revival of the church, you got to be the revival you want. Oh, how are we going to get there? How is the culture of the church going to change if we sit silently and wait for Brother Cordell to say the magic words and suddenly revival starts? It doesn't work that way. You know how it works? It works through this. You start talking about revival, and you start talking about revival, and you start talking about revival, and you say, I'm not saying fake it or put it together or make up something up. You start talking about revival, and then come down here and have some revival. And when worship service is going on, start raising your hands and worshiping. Get out of your seats and come on down into the Holy of Holies and start having some revival, because revival is going to happen when you make it happen. I'm going to tell you, We need that revival. You need to be recharged. You need to understand and remember why you're here. You need to remember about that day that's coming. Now imagine a guest comes into the house, and this place is is literally on Holy Ghost fire, and we're having revival. How can you possibly not get swept up into that and experience it? as a new person, or a guest, as a visitor. You see what I'm saying? But it's not just for you, it's for them. But that's why we need it. Verse 24 goes on to say, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Well, what are good works? Well, I pay my rent, and I feed my family, and I go to work, I pay my bills, no. Good works, the works that happen in and through the church and in the community. You gotta get a hold of ministry, folks. You gotta get a hold of what God's calling you to do. It says we gotta provoke one another. I'm telling you what, I'm doing this from my position, I'm doing as much provoking as I can. And we've provoked some new people into some new positions. You know, we have about 30 directors now appointed to positions around the church actively involved in ministry. Six departmental pastors who are doing a fantastic job and all the people that are working underneath those directors. You see what I'm saying? Because they're getting a hold of this. We're provoking them to good works. We're provoking them to service. And I'm telling you today, I need more people. I need more people that are willing to step up and take, take care of some things. This picnic and pole thing that we're doing out here, we need some volunteers. We need some people that are willing to step up. I love the people. I've got 30-some people that volunteer every year for the auction. We bring people in from the outside have never been in this church before, and we minister to them, and we show them God, and we get exposure for the church. Well, we need people willing to do that type of thing. I'm provoking you to good works today, okay? But we need to provoke one another to good works. If you've got a friend in the church that says, well, I don't really, I don't really want to do anything. I just kind of, I'm too tired. I got this going on. I, I, got, I play softball and I, I go to the movies or what. Provoke that person to a good work in the church. Be an influence. There's only so much that I can do as one person. There's only so much that my sixth of our pastors can do as one, one person. 
to involve people, but I'm telling you, God is saying to us, we've got to provoke one another to good works. Now listen, here's the key. Verse 25. We're provoking one another to good, unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There's that phrase again. Folks, if you don't see the day approaching, if you live out there, you're living in a black hole if you don't see the day approaching. My goodness, the unholiness that's going on out there is absolutely astonishing. I'm afraid to go into the grocery aisle for what I see and the stuff that's in those racks or to turn on a ball game on the television for what comes out of that or to turn on the news or to turn on the radio and listen to a news program. It's astonishing. But it's saying to us, the writer is saying to us, Luke, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, we can't forsake assembling ourselves. Now, what is that? We talk about that all the time. Forsake not assembling yourselves it means you've got to go to church. People say, well, yeah, I go once in a while. Like I said, there's far too many people who have taken church out of the center hub of what they do, and instead of the church being what's sending them out to their actions, their home and their jobs, etc., they put the church out here, and it's sort of like circulating, rotating around what's really important to them in the middle. That's a bad place to be, because then it's like, well, I... I, you know, I, I get there a couple times a month. That's okay. Maybe it is. Well, I don't really go to that service because it's not convenient for me. I get tired after work. I'm just saying, there's a lot of focus in this scripture talking about that day and the time that's coming and provoking one another to good works. God is calling us to continue to assemble, okay? We do this not just for a fun time and to have some songs and to fellowship. We're, we're provoking one another to good works. We're exhorting one another. We're reminding each other of God's goodness and grace and faithfulness. Church attendance is extremely important, and that's why it says it here, because it relates it directly to the day that's approaching. See, the closer we get to that day, the closer we need to be to the Holy of Holies. Now, we have a young lady in our youth group that went off to uh, services at our youth camp a whole week of, of powerful services. Guess what? God showed up there and put a call in her life. You want, that's why I, you want to know why I jumped up and shouted and jumped for joy over something like that? Because that's phenomenal. You should be excited for that. That's powerful what's happening. And it's just a little, yes, amen. It's just a little tiny peek into what's going to happen in this place if you get a hold of the same thing. Verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now some people say, well that just sounds like if, there's, if you willfully sin. Well of course we willfully sin. But see this is going back in, it's hearkening back to this idea of sacrifices and you can just bring an offering to the church and that's not what that's about. We're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes. And, and, and the further we drift away from an assembly of the church and being here and being in the presence of God and being at a place of repentance, because guess what? The sacrifices that we're making now are not sacrifices of animals. God is not asking you to go kill your goat and bring it to the church and hand it to me and say, here, take care of my sins, Brother Cordell. But what God is asking you to do is to assemble at the tent, the congregation tent, just like he did for, as they were wandering through the wilderness. And when they built the temple in Jerusalem, he's not saying you have to come back and bring those animals. What he's saying is you've got to come in with a sacrifice of praise. 
praise, a sacrifice of worship. You got a sacrifice in repentance. Well, this is the temple. This is the tent. This is the temple in Jerusalem. You understand? That's why the forsaking of assembling yourselves is dangerous because you do have to continue to sacrifice. You are continually responsible to sacrifice for the blood that was shed for you. But where do you do it? You do it in a service like we saw this morning where you stand up here and you lift up your hands and say, I'm willing to sacrifice, God. I sacrifice my praise to you. That's how you put it on the altar. You understand? You see how that ties together? We bring sacrifice and praise unto the house. Remember that song? You see why forsaking assembling, skipping, not being here, not being a part of the regular services? You're refusing to sacrifice where God has asked you to sacrifice. It says it right here in Hebrews. Well, Brother Cordell, I pray in my car and I, on the way to work and I listen to you know, worship music. I do that too. And sometimes I can't make it because of this or that. I understand there are things that hold people back. And you know full well that I'm talking to the people that have made a conscious decision that they're just going to come occasionally because that's all they want to do. That's, that's all I'm saying. And I'm saying be warned if you start to slip into that attitude. If you start to slip into this idea, well, there's not that much going on this week. It's pretty quiet. I'll just, you know, if I can make it, I'll make it. Okay, is that fair? Got real, no, got real quiet. Okay, I'm just saying, I'm reading out of Hebrews now. Okay, now verse 31 says this. I'm jumping on to verse 31. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. What is that saying? It's saying, you know, when you were first saved, when you were first illuminated, when God first came into your life, oh, you were at church every week, every service. Hey, yeah, amen. You were praising, you were worshiping, you were calling friends on the phone. Hey, I just got saved. I want you to come to my church. You remember that? But what happens to everybody? Everybody. Yes, Sister Matucci, it goes like this. That's what that scripture is saying. It says, you know, when you were first saved, when you were first illuminated, oh, you endured great afflictions. People mocked you. They made fun of you. Oh, yeah, Cordell, sure, yeah, I know your family's saved. Ha, 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 yeah, I know how you are. But you endured that. You were willing to, is what it's saying. Is you, you were ready to take on affliction because you were like, woohoo, I'm saved. I just got saved. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm super excited. But as humans, as as creatures of excess, that stuff wanes, and it starts to go away. And over time, well, I'm going to church. It's kind of mundane. It's kind of routine. Nothing exciting happening, right? We stop witnessing. We stop talking to our family members. Come on now. we're, We're all guilty of it. But this is what this is talking about. Verse 33 says this. Partly, whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly, whilst you became companions of them that were so used, it's basically saying you did this partly because even though you were a gazing stock, in other words, you became kind of a source of jokes and people were poking fun at you and they were like, you're weird, you're not, you're not like you used to be, and you took reproaches and afflictions, and also while you became companions of those that were so used. And so what it's saying is the reason that you were so excited and after you were illuminated, you were here, and you were like all excited about church is because... Partly, you took those afflictions and people kind of rejected you. So you sort of had to move into the family of God because everybody out there said, ah, you're a goof, whatever, right? But then the other part of it is is that you found some people that you liked that were like-minded. They were illuminated too. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these new friends and all these new people that I love you and welcome you. Quince, right? You became the family. What was the first thing I said to you after you got baptized? Do you remember? I got them on the spot now.
Right. And then right after that, I said, now you're part of the family. You remember that? I gave you a big hug and said, you're family now, bud. That's why. And you are family. And all of you are family. But see, that's, that's what they're saying there in verse 33, is that partly you got rejected by your old life, and partly you made some new friends. You became different to family and friends and mocked and all that kind of stuff, but you, you, you got a part of the family of the church, the family of God. Verse 34 says, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So what is that saying? You were excited about being saved. You were willing to take on those, those attacks and the gazing stock stuff and being mocked and everything because you knew you just got a one-way ticket to heaven. That's why you're excited. But here's the deal. Why aren't we still excited about that? Because if we're doing right and we're doing what the Word of God says and we're staying close to God, then we still have that one-way ticket to heaven. And we need to be excited about it. That's why we need revival. Because we've got to remember Oh, yeah, that's right. There's an escalator to heaven just right over here. We just got to remember it's still here. Okay? All right, I'm making a point here. 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So it's saying don't, don't lose your confidence. Don't lose that zeal and that fire that you had when you became first saved when you got to be a part of the family of God and you were okay with your family rejecting you because you knew you had the ticket to heaven. Don't lose that confidence because you know there's great reward coming. For you have need of patience. You gotta stay steady. Patience, hang in there that after you've done the will of God, you're gonna receive that promise. You gotta remember how you felt when you were first saved. You gotta stay patient and confident in him because heaven still awaits It is real, and it's my job and the job of the ministers of this church to continuously remind you, folks, we're in this game for a reason. Heaven's still there for you. It's still waiting for you. Just hang in just a little bit longer. Just get a hold of that revival. Start talking that up. Get that conversation going. Let's change the culture of the church to say we're in total and complete revival to get to as many people in our community as we possibly can because the more we can drag with us, the more we're going to get on that escalator to get to heaven. That's what God wants us to do. That's our mission. That's our purpose. If you reject that purpose, if you feel that's not it, then you might as well not be here. Verse 37 says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. If you slip back, if you start sliding away, God does not have pleasure in that. It's what he's saying. It's right there in black and white. 38 says again, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, if you pull away from that zeal, if you pull away from God, if you start slipping away, he's got no pleasure in that. Verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's not us. We're not drawbackers. We're not backsliders. We're not people who are going to forget the great things of God. We're the ones that are going to endure to the end. We're going to keep on believing to the saving of our souls. we got to hang in there. Continue in faith. We don't give up. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 13. He said, but the he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. A translation of Ecclesiastes 9 and 11 says the same thing for the swift, excuse me, the race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but he too endures to the end. What it's saying is, is you got to hang in there, grit it out, keep on coming, get back into church on a regular basis, look for ways that you can get involved in good works. 
You know why good works are so important? Because if you get busy doing the work of God, it's hard to drift away. You know that if you go out to one of these, I call them secular churches, ATL churches, you know, these ones that are just sort of like a big club and they've got Starbucks and all that stuff. Do you know one of the first things they do when you walk in the door as a, as a new visitor? They grab a hold of you and they stick you in a leadership position. You know why? Because when you're in a leadership position, you have responsibility. And it's much, much more difficult to drift away when you're responsible to be there at Sunday morning at 9 o'clock to take care of the job that they gave you to do. So they know that people brand new, first in the door, have more zeal and excitement about being brand new and having zeal. And they embrace you and they love you. And they, oh, you're the most wonderful person ever. We're so glad to have you. Hey, we'd love to have you be the soda can collection person. Would you like to do that? And of course, they're going, oh, wow. Look, Ted. Ted, they, they said they want us to be in leadership. Isn't that wonderful? Ted's going, yeah, wow. I can't believe how these people love us so much. Now we have a leadership position. Well, it's a masterful stroke of genius because now Ted and Sally are going to be, well, you know, and I've, listen, folks, I, listen, I've had people standing right in front of me sharing the gospel, having them gone through a Bible study with me and said, you see now, you see that you're missing a whole bunch of the scripture. I see it, I see it, I know. You, do you understand? You're not getting the truth of God. And they go, yeah, I know, I know. Well, come on to church. Come and see out. There's more that we're preaching and teaching. Well, I think this is, we're the soda can leaders. And I'm not kidding you. I'm not joking. I had people literally turn me down, say, yes, I know we're not getting the full truth, but we can't come to your church, Russ, because, well, we got to take care of the Cub Scout group or whatever it is. Not kidding. And it's happened on more than one occasion. Having a position in good works gives you the responsibility to say, I need to be here. I need to serve God in the work. And I'm talking about the good works now. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, you, see, you guys hanging in there? I'm bringing her in for a landing. Okay, all right. Closing right now. The promises. Proverbs 11 and 4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You need to explore and understand what righteousness really is. Matthew 24, we're going to skip down to verse 30. It says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the sky to the other. The Spirit of the moves here, the Spirit of God moves in this place. We preach and teach the life salvation message all the time. We preach the word of God. I know there's a lot of attack on, on, on holiness churches. There's a lot of attack on the apostolic movement right now. But I'm telling you, we do not veer from scripture. We do not interpret. We do not give you anything but the core true faith that God has given us. We live that salvation message. Look what it says in Acts chapter 2. And you can stand with me if I can have the musicians come. Acts chapter 2. I know this was a long one, folks, but I hope it meant something to you. When I stand in a service like this this morning, powerful, powerful worship, and I see people bursting out, speaking in tongues, worshiping God, the Holy Ghost just flowing back and forth, a fantastic testimony from our youth. Our youth are going to be powerful and powerful and affecting revival in this church. And when I see people step up and begin to worship and we start singing about dancing and people start dancing and we start worshiping before God and being fools before him, willing to humble ourselves to start worshiping, it reminds me of this scripture. 
one of my favorite scriptures in the word of God because the spirit does move here. Acts chapter two and 16 says this, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I see that in this church week in and week out. Powerful, amazing moves of God. But at the same time, I see some folks sometimes here and there that just seem to be a little bit tired, a little bit asleep, maybe just kind of been rolling that road for a long time and just kind of getting weary. We all do it. Why? Because we're wrapped in flesh. Because we operate in this stuff. We get easily distracted. Entertainment is fun. The job is demanding. We got bills to pay. You know, we cause more problems for ourselves and our fun and our entertainment than the world can ever put on us. But I see that happen occasionally. And what I'm saying is that God is talking to us. And he's saying, we can't be laissez-faire about our time in the church and what we're doing. And I want to point out something here. I'm just going to slip this in. I said nothing today except a joke about money or offerings, or tithing, or any of that stuff. I'm strictly talking about you being here and entering the Holy of Holies and desperately seeking what God has got for you to do in good works and not forsaking assembling yourselves. We cannot sleep anymore because that day, that day is quickly approaching. Jesus, I'm so thankful, God, today for your word. Lord, we look out into this world. We see it through our TV sets, our radios, walking down the street, going to the grocery store. The wickedness is unbelievable. The depth of depravity that we see sometimes. Our sources of entertainment, social media, the things that young people are indulging in and the things that older people are destroying themselves in, the rampant drugs, alcohol and all the other sins. Lord, we know that this must grieve you in your heart. And then when you look at your church, your precious precious church, the people that you sacrificed yourselves for, the people that you sacrificed and shed your blood for, sometimes getting sleepy, getting weary, I can only imagine, God, that it must just grieve you so and worry you so that your children are slowly slipping. But God, I'm here today to be obedient, to deliver your word, to deliver the warnings of the word of God. Lord, I just ask that you be merciful today, Lord God, on us for the times that we've been sleepy, for the times, Lord, that we've drifted away, the times that we've gotten more involved in our entertainment and our work and the other distractions of this world. But God, help us today. Help us today to be awoke. Help us today, Lord God, to hear your voice, to hear your call, to desperately love your presence, to constantly seek your will in our lives. And Lord, we'll be awake. We'll be ready. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. 
If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.